0: right, welcome everyone to the Defend the North podcast. I'm here with the man who believes that Chris Finch is the answer to all of the Timberwolves' woes. The man who thinks that there might be two rookies of year in town. And the man who's very excited about the upcoming MLS season starting in April. And that's the guy that I call my cousin Isaac.
1: Cuz, what's going on? Wolves are uh, 500 after the All Star break, man, that shouldn't be exciting, but it sure is. Well, five hundred at two and two. <laughs> hey, small victories. What, what, small victories. Yeah. What are we looking at tonight? I. <laughs> oh, they got a tight one so far with Phoenix. So well, we'll see if they pull it out in the end. But tied at forty three at the moment. So. Well, we,
0: Isaac, we've got a new coach, Chris Finch, and yeah. um, we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Finch. But there, we we haven't been on for for a week or two, and uh, we. Wanted to talk a little bit about KG. And before we get into what's going on with the Timberwolves today, um, we know that Glenn Taylor is trying to sell a franchise. It's been a long process. It's been pretty drawn out now for like a year and a half. What do you know about this KG bid and what went down with Glenn Taylor?
1: Well, I know KG is sure upset and he's uh, not hiding it. And I know that's unlike KG to hide his uh, his emotions, but uh, that much we know. So I think it was just a lot of like... Failed promises. I mean, he he came back to the Wolves in 2015 uh, when we got him back from from Brooklyn for kind of his his last go around with the Wolves. And at that time, it it's reported that you know supposedly him and Flip had some kind of deal to get worked into ownership or like management of some sort for the team. And later on that year, we of course had the unfortunate passing of Flip, um, which kind of rocked the for sure, the Minnesota sports world, but um, kind of the NBA world as well. So it was, it was a shocking moment. And it seems like from that point on, everything that Glenn had agreed to with with Flippin and, and Garnett went right out the window. I don't know if it was, you know, it had to be a, a group deal, like it had to be all or nothing. But it seems like all that that went away. And so Garnett kind of was shoved out the door not too much later than that um, when, when Tibbs was hired. And then fast forward to 2020, um, Garnett is inducted into the Hall of Fame. Deservedly so. I mean, won his championship, greatest player in Timberwolves history. But yet we still can't hang this guy's jersey in the rafters. And kind of Garnett's claim at the time was that he doesn't do business with snakes, right? That's exactly what he said. (laughs) (laughs) So there was that. And then a few months later in in the midst of the COVID pandemic and Glenn Taylor talking about selling the team, we got this big, exciting news that, oh, Garnett's going to put together a group to buy the team. He, and, and he kind of made the, the comment that he's willing to set aside differences to get a deal done, which, I mean, I thought, I thought he wasn't doing deals with snakes, but you know, I guess, I guess that changed a little bit. I don't know.
0: Well, time heals all wounds, Isaac. <laughs>
1: Well, we, I think we might need more time now because uh, it, it turns out that that Garnett didn't get the deal. Um, and even just even to put more salt in the wound, um, I think yeah, Darren Wolfson from Five Eyewitness News had reported that when he talked to Taylor, um, he said like ten or more teams put in bids to to buy the team, and uh, Garnett's group was not one of them. So yeah, it's like okay, so who's telling the truth now? I mean, I feel like Garnett's pretty open about everything because we, we kind of see it all on his face, and Glenn Taylor's been kind of the sleazy, yeah. sneaky one for so many years.
0: Isaac, this feels to me like disgruntled lovers that happened to have a kid before they were married, and now they're trying to figure out custody. The problem is, is that Glenn has custody, and he has full custody. Right. And Garnett's trying to work his way back into the relationship, and Glenn just keeps enticing him and then shutting the door. And I... I got to say, this is, for me, look, the the one thing I know, Glenn Taylor bought the Timberwolves in 1995. He's been our owner for 26 years. What the hell has this franchise done without Kevin Garnett on the floor? Nothing. Nothing. Unless you Nothing. count the Jimmy Butler year, which was something until it was an absolute crater. And I, I, I'm like, how many more things could this guy mess up? Like, Glenn, KG should be, as you said, Isaac, his 21 should be in the rafters of the Target Center. Mm-hmm. We know that. Now, does KG need to be the owner or the minority owner or, of the team? I don't know how you know the finances work, how these group buys work. I can't speak to the, the details of that. What I know is that this is messy and it's ugly. And this was a guy that was so loyal to a franchise from 1995, by the way, the same year that Garnett was drafted, no irony in that until 2007 when, or eight when he was finally traded, like he gave everything he had to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I just, the one great thing, the one great thing, we've had some good things, but the one great thing that has happened to this franchise in the Glenn Taylor era, Glenn Taylor figures out a way to mess up. <laughs> Why can't this guy figure it out?
1: Yeah. But like, so, so what is, what does Glenn truly, truly owe him? Cause to me, like in terms of ownership, I don't think he owes him any of that, because it's like, I mean, technically it's his business. Like Glenn can run his business how he wants, even if he's going to run it straight into the ground. So he doesn't he doesn't need to give any part of the team Garnett. But to me, like, with everything being said about how great Garnett was for Minnesota, like he needs some part in our franchise. It's sad that that guy. We don't, we don't even see that guy. In Isaac. The, in the Isaac. Arena. That's it.
0: That's it. It, it. You're right. Glenn Taylor's running a business, and who he wants to sell to is his business. I don't hold him, a, like, I don't criticize him for, you know, I, I, um, not considering KG's bid or playing a, a, an optics game about whether or not KG had a bid in. And But what I do think is a problem is that his legacy, Glenn Taylor's legacy in Minnesota is going to be most tied to the Timberwolves franchise. And Kevin Garnett is by far the most successful player that has ever stepped foot um, on, on the target center court. So why can't we figure out a way to get this guy on the sideline, you know, or you know, two rows into the stands during regular season games, and be an ambassador for the Timberwolves and and be like, you want to build a culture. Part of building a culture is being able to look back at what you've done and to appreciate it. The same way that the NBA as an organization, I think, has done to a um, done really well with a lot of their retired NBA players, Bill Russell a man that played primarily in the 1950s and 60s, Isaac, is still coming out at the end of NBA Finals and and handing out trophies to current players in the 2010s and 20s, which tells you all you need to know about the way the NBA is run. It's a shit show in Minnesota.
1: <laughs> to say the least. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's so sleazy beyond, beyond measure. But, I mean, I don't think it, nothing's going to change until ownership changes, right? I mean, like you yeah. said, we've been through how many years of... Taylor's mishaps, so it's like, why why is it going to change now? I think he just well, needs to, he needs to
0: sell the team. Yeah, he does. I think he will. I I I, I imagine the process with him, like anything, is not going to be um, simple. And it, what we, I think I'm done. I just I think I'm done <laughs> with Taylor, and I need to be <laughs> done with him because the feelings that I have for him are not good. It's too frustrating. And yeah, I, I do feel a little bit more um, optimistic about the second half of this particular Timberwolves seasons, because I do think that he did make a good hire in Gerson Rosas. And when the coaching change, although the optics of the way that it went down may not have been great. You know, I think there are some positives in what we've seen already in, in the initial games um, under Chris Finch. So let's talk, Isaac, um, a little bit about his uh, comments that he made coming out of the all-star break.
1: Yeah. So I mean what's great about this guy is he's he's got the experience that we need for this young young team. Like that's what we were missing for these last couple years cuz these young players don't know how to play. So it's like let's get a guy in there with experience and and one of the big things he said coming out of the the break was this team needs to have more accountability, like and he needs to bring it. Finch needs to bring it. Um holding players to a standard and also like making sure the players know what that standard is. Now I know I'm I'm sure like any new coach coming in says that, right? You know, it's all all pretty. You know, they say it make you feel good, but does it actually happen on the on the court? Which I think, you know, that's something we're gonna have to watch because it, it's still early in in the in the second half here. But I know that's something he stressed, and he said, you know, he's he's gonna adjust rotations if he has to. Like players aren't gonna play if they're not doing things right. Like obviously, there's gonna be growing pains. You got to live with growing pains because, you know. Players can't just flip a switch like that and do things exactly, you know, the way you want them to. So you got to live with some growing pains. But to be able to pull a player out and set them aside, or if a player's not making hard cuts, playing hard enough defense, boxing out and getting rebounds, like it sounds like he's he's going to be willing to, to pull them out and say, "Hey, look, you need to play winning basketball, or you're not going to play for this team." So that's what I'm looking, That's what I'm I'm watching for. He said it. Um, we'll see now if he if he falls through. Well, he certainly
0: does seem to be much more of an X's and O's guy. Like as we talked about in our last last podcast, Isaac, um, Chris Finch has a lot of basketball experience and his presence on the court as a coach and and the way that he wants things to be done and his vision, I never felt that that was something that um, exemplified the Ryan Saunders experience in Minnesota. So what have you seen in these um, first set of games under Chris Finch on the offensive end?
1: Yeah, definitely. So actually, even to follow up with this, I watched a cool little short video of him explaining his offense. Um, and he runs like this, this corner offense is what he calls it. Um, and it's basically like, so two guys in the corners, obviously. And then you have two slot guys, which, which basically those guys are, one's bringing the ball down and it's on one side of the court. So I don't know. I was taught in high school to always bring the ball up to the middle of the court. So you have, you know, runners on both sides. this isn't this guy's style. He's, he's got the ball handler bringing up on one side and then you have a trailer in the other slot. So on the other side of the court, and then your fifth guy is the post in the middle and kind of his main, main spot is, is like the elbow um, right at the free throw line. So they play so many actions off this and you can kind of see this with uh, Denver's offense too, where they they use Jokic a lot kind of in the middle of the court and they run so many actions off them. So, it's pretty much just i mean it's a cat centered offense um, is what it is, and they're trying to get cat the ball either on the elbow or in the post, and then they run just a ton of like different different actions off it, whether you screen away or you you pass and chase um It's kind of like a lot of and the way he kind of explained it was like you teach these principles and you you you, you show them continuity with this stuff and then you let the, you let them play. So you give them these principles and you let the guys play basketball. Cause ultimately that's what they have to do. Like they have to make split decisions. You have to be unpredictable. Like you can't just run a play over and over and over again. A defense is going to sniff that out. Um, so it's kind of neat. Like, like just, just a couple other things he said was like, he wants to keep energy in the ball. So, and by doing that passing and moving, like don't dribble the ball, don't hold it. And to go along with that, he's, his his big thing is play with a 0.5 mentality. So you're not holding the ball for two or three seconds. In 0.5 seconds, you should be able to decide, am I going to shoot it? Am I going to pass it? Am I going to dribble it? So just a lot of up-tempo moving moving, um, basketball.
0: I, I think he is, from what I understand about his coaching philosophy and what I've seen, and it's hard to judge a coach's um, philosophy in you know 5 or 6 or 7 games with a new franchise when they are the ones calling the shots but i think you're right it 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 reminds me a little bit of the triangle offense that but that was more run in the center of the of the offensive core this is more run towards one side so mm-hmm. if you think of a triangle between the the the, the three point corner um the elbow and then kind of the, the block right underneath the basket. That seems to be where most of the action is happening. And I know Towns has gotten since Finch took over, um what I've read is that he's gotten two to three times more touches at the elbow per game than he was uh, yeah. it's at um, least doubled, yeah. Yeah, pre um pre Finch. And so if you got Towns at the elbow and you've got action with a guy in the corner, you know, and I, I'm um so Towns gets the ball at the elbow and I, he's not actually seen a lot of double teams at the elbow. I think he sees more if he gets the ball in the deep post, but it's the back cut. It's it's the screen action that you see in the corner that allows a guy, the, the two guys in the corner to cut one of them to cut towards the basket. And if that doesn't work right, then another guy comes across the top and can, can screen at the elbow. And it gives Towns in that position, a lot of, options about whether or not he whether he wants to be a facilitator or he wants to you know try and score himself so i i agree with you this is an offense go ahead
1: and i think we've seen that that facilitator role really like show itself when it comes to cat because i mean his career average is is just below three in assists and uh post all-star break he's averaging up to five assists, which like five doesn't sound like a crazy big number. But I mean, when you think about in cat's career, he's, he's averaging averaging like two and some change and he's now up to five just through four or five games. Like you you can tell it's, it's working. Like he's definitely passing the ball more and getting it to people who can score.
0: And I think that's great for the, the Timberwolves because if Carl Anthony towns has to put up 30 points and 12 rebounds for us, to be in a game, we're probably going to lose it. But what you've seen in a couple of these wins since the all-star break, Isaac, is that Carl Towns, like you look up at the scoreboard and we beat new Orleans by 30 points and he has 19 points. Yeah. Right. And so he doesn't have to do it all. And that's not something that I'm used to, at least in the, the, the iteration of Timberwolves basketball since Jimmy Butler left that it seemed like it almost everything was on Towns offensively and everything is a lot is still going through him. But Mm -hmm. I think this offense is set up so that he can help other guys at this point, you know, those guys are Jalen Noel and Anthony Edwards and, and, and Jake Lehman. But at some point it's going to be Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell or excuse me, D'Angelo Russell. So Finch and his offense, what has that meant for you with Ricky Rubio?
1: Yeah. I mean, Ricky, Ricky pulling, pulling a, a classic Rubio, in his career, he's always been a better second half player. um, and you can see it like not huge numbers to go off of, but his field goal percentage ticks up two points, his three point percentage ticks up two points. His assists are up at least one. And so like every year he's always a, and I think we saw this early with with Rubio for the wolves too, but unfortunately, since most years with the wolves were pretty bad it didn't matter how hot Ricky was in the second half it wasn't really going to going to push us anywhere but i mean we can see that this year with with Ricky um he's ki- kind of finally starting to find his footing um i know his his field goal percentage is up 10 points like from 39% to 48% it's huge the one spot where he's still hurting us is his three point shot though if that can if that can tick up that would be wonderful and and in his career it has so i'm, I'm hoping that increases but I think you can see in, in this offense too, Ricky's kind of starting like he's he's seeing the rotations in this in this offense and able to pick up passes a little bit better too. His his assists are up to almost nine a game um compared to six earlier in the year. So they're definitely ramping it up a little bit. Well, I'm not sure that Ricky Rubio is a
0: guy that has hit a point in his career where he's a little bit slower just because of the number of games that he's played and his age, or if he's nursing something that we're not sure of. But this is not the...
1: he did have COVID
0: earlier, so. And so it it also, in the year of the pandemic, or the years at this point, right, um, we celebrated the the one-year anniversary of the March 11th shutdown. Remember when it was going
1: to be two weeks? Just two weeks, right?
0: Yeah, well... (laughs) We had never dealt with a pandemic before, so we didn't know what was coming. And I I, honestly, I still think we don't know quite what to expect in the coming year. But what I do know is that Ricky Rubio is not the guy that I saw last year in Phoenix, and he's not the guy that I saw, especially a couple of years ago in Utah, or the guy that we saw at the end of his stint here in Minnesota where he was really coming on. I mean, he seems like a guy that is getting by more through his understanding of the game and where he can pick his spots. And it's interesting with you know, we can get in more into rotation talk, but how do you see the way that Finch is using with McLaughlin in the health and safety protocol and D'Angelo Russell still out with the injury? Jalen Noel is playing a lot of point. He's and lights out. R- Ricky Rubio is, is finishing some games and he's playing pretty well. He's played pretty well since the All-Star. But he had eight free throws that he made in the last few minutes against the game the other night against the Trailblazers to close him out. Mm-hmm. But Jalen Newell is playing a lot of minutes with the first team as point guard. So what have you seen with him under the, the, the Finch regime?
1: Yeah, I mean, he takes the load off of uh, your main scorers, Cat and, and Edwards, whether they're in the game or, or on the bench. I mean, this, guy, <laughs> this guy's been, been crazy good. Post-All-Star, he's been putting up 18 points a game, which, I mean, for a guy who was in the G League last year, like... That's so good. Um, And he's shooting 61, 56, and 100% from the free throw line. Now, given he really doesn't get to the free throw line that much, so that number's kind of whatever. But 56% from the three-point line. And he's putting up what, like five or six threes a game?
0: Yeah, so you asked me the question. Those stats tell you that this is a guy that's making a difference on the floor, at least offensively. Um, And you asked me if... You know, what are the um, things that you've noticed the most, Dana, about the rotations under Finch? And I think Noel is one of them. Like, it's really interesting because with Russell out and now McLaughlin out as well, you'd think that Rubio would getting we would be getting even more minutes than he is. But Finch is playing Noel a lot with the first team. Um, he's not closing the game yet, but I, it. you told me that he was the kind of guy that you thought needed to see minutes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was I was texting Kiefer early, even in the preseason games, which the preseason games um, for the Wolves. Shout out were, to Kiefer. So shout Kiefer. out to yeah. Kiefer. <laughs> but that what was up something, Kiefer. <laughs> that was something I, I noted to Kiefer was this guy's gonna shoot his way to a spot on the rotation. And I think right now is his time to prove it. I mean he's got Beasley and D'Lo out. Beasley's still out like he's got what, five games left on his suspension. He needs to take advantage of this and if he keeps this up there's no way that Finch can set him on the bench. Like he he can create his own shot and he hits wide open threes. What what else do you want from a guy?
0: What do you think long term if the Timberwolves do you think he's a starter
1: or what do you think his role is on this Timberwolves team? I think a starter's a stretch especially if I mean depending what how this how this roster changes I guess. But when you got especially if we have D'Lo, Edwards and Beasley, I don't, I don't see him ever being a starter, but I think his, his real, his, his calling card would be the sixth man. Like if he could be our sixth man, coming off the bench, bring energy. Cause he always comes in with a ton of energy, even on defense. He might not be great at defense, but he, he gives a crap on defense and he's yeah, hustling. He,
0: he reminds me a little bit of the Jordan Clarkson, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams variety. Yeah. where he, he can get he can be a heat check guy from 3 but he can also get to the cup and he can make a lot of shots in between. Mm-hmm. And when he's got the ball in his hands like you don't feel bad about the possession and the potential for us to score. And you're right. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy like Lou Williams for the Clippers that is um hunted defensively like mm. in the playoffs and becomes almost a non-factor. Like he cares enough. He's not big but he he brings enough energy defensively that I don't think you have to hide him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, what what are some other uh, players in the rotation here? How do you feel about the what about the starting five? It's so. I mean, what what is the starting five
0: with all these guys out? Like, well, you know, with,
1: this... with its current iteration, I mean we we see we see Jake Lehman in there. What are, do you, do you have any thoughts on Jake Lehman, who was basically non existent for for Saunders coaching? tenure, but now that Finch is in here, he seems to be the guy that he wants to put alongside Cat.
0: Yeah, so I think going back to Finch's offense and what I understand about it, and and, and again, this may not be translating all of it to what we're seeing on the court with the Timberwolves, at least up until now, because it's such a short tenure, right? But he wants to collapse the defense. He wants to put pressure on the defense with interior penetration. And if he can do that through the transition game, he's going to. And I think, you know, one of the things that I see with him is that he wants guys on the court that can get rebounds. Obviously they can, I mean, this is most coaches, right? They can get rebounds and they can handle the ball. And he's kind of a positionless coach from what I understand about his philosophy. And I think you think about a guy like Jake Lehman, what is he good at? He's got a pretty good handle. He can hit the boards. He's, he's a, he's kind of a big body and he's athletic. And if you think about a Chris Finch offense, five guys that not necessarily are interchangeable, you know, across all five positions, but in many ways, not considering this a one, two, three, four, five offense, more like I got a couple of big guys. I got a number of guys that can handle the ball, and I got a number of guys that can hit the boards and can, you know, put the ball on the floor and put pressure on the defense on the interior that's why I think Jake Layman is seeing is seeing the court
1: yeah honestly yeah and he's so good at cutting like he's he's a great cutter so when you think about cat having the ball at the elbow and 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 Finch wants his players to cut um, he's great at that I, honestly I <laughs> I love Lehman with the ball or without sorry let me rephrase that I love Lehman without the ball He's like the perfect player without the ball cuz he moves a lot. He's athletic, he's a body. He's good at rebounding, but in terms of him like dribbling, making decisions, I don't necessarily want that, but I feel like in this offense, it's good for him because he doesn't that often have to make many decisions. But I also like to go off the rail a little bit with what you were just saying, like you know, we've been lacking it seems like size and big men for a while, and it, this offense seems like the perfect offense to run with our our roster. Cause like you really don't need that many big men. You need, you need four guys that can interchange and you basically need one, one big guy that can kind of be the center of your offense. And so when you think about if we got cat, who's going to play, you know, over 30 minutes a game and then you bring in Nas to fill the, you know, the gaps that's doing pretty good. I mean, re- rebounding wise, I, I feel like we've been doing all right. Cause we have a ton of athletic players in there.
0: Right. But I, I, I push back against that. I think you're right offensively, and it seems to me like Finch is more concerned, and he probably should be, as a modern NBA coach in the modern NBA, with you know 112 points per game being the standard, focusing on ensuring that the Timberwolves can get the ball into the bucket. But you know, we go back to our previous conversation. If Towns is at the five on d- defense, where does that set you up? Um, and I, we were going to talk a little bit later on about our defense, but I think we can bring it up here because I as well, I looked at that Lakers game as, and I was thinking back to our our, our conversation um, in our in our last pod about you know Towns' defense, and I'm not going to rail on this every single episode, I, I I promise you that. But what I can say is I I watched that game against the Lakers the other night, and. Finch hasn't you you can't focus on both sides of the balls a new coach and fix both things at the same time. So I get it. Like I think he's got to get his players back and then he's got to figure out um I think he's going to focus on his offense first and then maybe in the off season he's going to evaluate his his bench and 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 determine whether or not he's got an assistant that he thinks that can build this unit up. But I just don't see a lot of hope for us defensively this year because the defense has not improved very much since the all-star break. And I saw that game against the Lakers and Towns, you know, we were down by about seven or eight points uh, in the middle part of the fourth quarter. And it, I mean, maybe it was 10 at that point. It was kind of back and forth. Like LeBron had put his, his foot on the pedal in the third. And they had after a tight first half, they had, they had pushed the lead out. And there was four out of, like, five or six possessions when Towns' defense was just absolutely awful. And we lost the game. We ended up losing the game by, what, like, 16 points, I think.
1: Was that the LeBron Harrell pick and roll or what? Yeah,
0: it was four possessions in a row. And, and he made Harrell—Harrell like, Harrell had, like, like, almost 30 points.
1: He we made a little bit— We make every post look like an all-star, so.
0: (laughs) But what's the problem there, though? That's Towns. If you're going to play him at the five, that's him. And, like, you know, he was playing, like, okay, so we got to understand that LeBron comes down the center of the court, and he gets double, you know, high-screen action, and he's going to, you know, get down into the paint, and he's going to make something happen. He's going to score. He's going to find his role man, or he's going to dish it out to the guy in the corner, right? Right. So I don't fault Towns too much for this, but three plays in a row in a row and and they didn't switch. So that was a problem in itself. And Hernan Gomez trying to stay with LeBron is not a good look, Um, (laughs) but Towns kept showing and he kept trying to play help defense after LeBron had already collapsed the defense. And at that point it's like, stay home. The guy in, in in the corner can come back and play some help defense and help Hernan Gomez or, you know LeBron kicks it out to the corner but they had th- two or three alley-oops in a row
1: yeah
0: and then Towns on the on the preceding possession LeBron's coming down the court and he throws a a pass to the corner to a guy you know setting up for a three-point shot Towns is trailing that guy runs by him half-heartedly puts his hand up doesn't even really contest the shot and then he proceeds to run past like this um ball rack And like halfway down or halfway into the stands and the play was still going on. The guy missed the three pointer. Harold gets the rebound in a scrum with a bunch of guys that were smaller than him. And he puts it back and the game's over. We're down by like 18 and towns is like sitting up in the second row. And I just don't get it. Like he had COVID, he had COVID and I, on the defensive end, he just goes through the motions. And because of that, for most of most parts of these games, this team goes through the motions. And I don't care how good you are defensively, until we address the defensive end Isaac. I promised you no more than two or three minutes on this, and we're probably at four
1: already. Right. <laughs> like,
0: we already weren't that bad on offense. Like right. and we've got enough good offensive players. So
1: I mean I um, mean, we, we were bad on offense this year, but but in terms of like having the right players to be good on offense, like we weren't far away. It's just a matter of instinct installing the right system but like you were like you were going our defense has always been the issue
0: well that brings me to mcdaniels and nkogi two guys that can play defense and 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 what are what are you seeing with them under finch
1: well mcdaniels finally got back in the rotation i know when finch first showed up he must have must have saw he was a rookie or something was like nah you you take your time on the bench rook i don't know what that was all about but uh yeah he, he made his way back so that was great i know it was the first game after the All Star break, I think he had like twenty points. So he's like, "Show out, Rook, okay." But I mean, that that guy needs to be on the floor. I just there's, he might be the steal of the draft, to be honest, because he just plays such great defense, spot up shooter. He can play, he can he can pretty much guard every position, but probably the five. He's kind of a stick at this point. Love that dude. Um Kogi, like did you want to add anything, on McDaniel's? I don't know.
0: Well. I was reading um, an article today on Duncan with the Wolves blog. Is McDaniel's a guy that we could potentially throw into a trade package to bring something else in? Because he what is. What something else be?
1: Like, are we talking like John Collins? Is that worth it? More, more, more offense, no defense.
0: That's a fair point. Is so? There's so much youth on this roster. And I know that McDaniels has been good. And like you watch him matching up against some of the best players in the NBA and often holding his own. Oh, by the way, the same way Nas Reed does in the post, like yeah. those are a couple of guys defensively, but I, where do you see McDaniels in terms of his offensive development? And can he stay on the floor with a starting unit? in, in, in maybe not this year, but in years to come, do you think he can get there?
1: I think he could, especially with our, our hole at the four spot. I mean, ideally it'd be nice to get a rim protecting five in our starting, starting rotation. But if we keep cat at the five, like it's between Vanderbilt and McDaniels. And quite honestly, in the end, McDaniels is bringing a lot more to, to the, to the court. Yeah. So he, I, he. Go ahead. Now he could be, a, um,
0: I think of him in the Chris Middleton, Mikhail Bridges mode. Like he, Mikael Bridges, right. And Phoenix took a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he was a high prospect coming out of Villanova after they won their championship. Also, hello, lanky. (laughs) That's right. He's got long arms, and he's got a a long wingspan. And he is shooting 37% from three-point range on almost three shots per game, even though he's only averaging about five and a half. I think that has more to do with his early season minutes and then some of the stuff going on um, when Finch took over. He's a piece, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think what what Rosas needs to decide is, is he a piece of my starting unit or at least a good piece of my rotation, or is he a piece that could bring in a bigger piece? The problem is, are what do we have for draft picks? And, you know, what what is that guy? I, I'd like to see him developed, but I don't trust this franchise to develop young players. And that's my hesitancy about, you know, keeping him and, and hoping he becomes the guy that you see through the flashes throughout these games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd want to give him a chance, especially with this. This uh management, I still I still have a lot of faith in Rosas at this point. He hasn't lost it for me yet. So, and and bringing in Finch, genius offensively, and he's had two guys under his wing that have, well, one guy won the most improved. The guy came darn close. So to me, like, I want to see what Finch can do in terms of this player development because we haven't really had a coach like him. I mean, we we had Tibbs who was. Who was a, a big name, good coach, but he was more on the defensive end, right? Like he wasn't this offensive-minded guy. I, I, to me, you, you have to get something better than Collins back from a trade that packages McDaniel's in it. I'm just valuing McDaniel's too high right now because he brings he's 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 a two-way player, and those are valuable in the league, and he's young. Well, he's
0: outstanding on the defensive end, and for a team that really lacks really any. Um, defensive pres- presence exactly. night tonight. night. Like, I, I think you're right about that. I'm not going to push back on it. I do think that you start looking at Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed and Jalen Noel, and you got a bunch of guys that kind of came out of nowhere to have a place. And granted, we're a team that has a really bad record with a lot of injuries, so you're going to get guys that typically would be on the end of your bench that are seeing minutes. But they're seeing minutes, and they're making something with them. And that that says something to me about our about about Rosas and his ability to maybe peel off some of that talent in the nether regions of the draft and the G League and get guys onto our roster. And you start getting enough of those guys that are kind of outperforming the expectations of who they should be. And that becomes the foundation. I mean, you're still going to need your stars. You're not going to do anything in the NBA without your stars. Mm. But putting together a team that can that that can make the playoffs with a solid eight man rotation, this is where some of that starts. And I really like the bricks that he's put down so far. Even if you know the Culver pick is is um, has not looked great so far. We talked about him last time, but I think we need to see him back, and I think we need to see Russell and Beasley back to see what we actually have have this year. So um, Isaac, I, we can't talk about the Wolves without talking about Edwards, and oh. I am just like I turn on like we have an awful record, and so many of people in my life that are casual fans like just throw barbs at me about the Wolves, but I remain excited about them because I turn on these games in the last few nights, you know, thirty-four points, twenty-nine points. He's he's really emerging into a rookie of the year candidate.
1: Yeah, you you think you think he's gonna actually chase uh, Lamelo? I don't know. Lamelo's got the storyline in the media, so you, you think you think he's got what it takes to give him a run for his money?
0: What I know about the NBA um the season and the way that these awards narratives go is that over the course of 82 and this year, 72 games, like that narrative has room to grow and evolve. And LaMelo has owned that narrative now for 40 games or more. And I wonder if Edwards continue to make this continues to make this push. And granted he's getting the elevated opportunity because of the absence of Beasley and Russell. But if Edwards continues to do what he's done for the next month and a half, and he's scoring and averaging 20 to 25 points per game and lifting his season average probably up near 20.
1: It's going to be a tough decision. Average um, aver- averages a poster a week.
0: Yeah. Like you know and <laughs> with younger fans that's how they consume the NBA with their YouTube videos and the highlight packages and Edwards is a guy I think with younger fans with he, he really resonates. I don't know if that's the same for the voters. For these awards, with a guy like Lamelo, who's really like, filling the stat sheet every night, and uh-huh. is I guess is, you know he's really making a lot of his teammates better. But boy, Edwards—he—he's just—he's a guy you text about a lot when you're watching the Wolves.
1: Yeah, and I, I know like as, as much joy as he does bring, he brings a lot of frustrations too. I mean, his his—you can tell when he settles. There's, there's times, I don't know if he's tired or he's frustrated or what, but he'll just be jacking up threes. And he did this a lot in the first half of the year. And wondering if, if he'll fix that, which it seems like he kind of has. I mean, again, it hasn't been that many games. But he, he made the mention coming out of the All-Star break that uh, basically him and Finch had a convo, and he had told him that, that he has to go to the rim more, like, with these with these shooting percentages, since you're not making it, like you gotta go to the rim, that's where you're dangerous. That's where you can really get it going. And I think that's I mean, that's what you and I were texting each other a ton too. Like he's taking all these these three pointers, these tested shots, when and this guy this guy's a, a bowling ball going into the into the lane. Like if he once he really learns how to use his body and he gets fouls called for him, he's gotta kinda earn it as a as a rookie, but this kid's gonna be real hard to stop on offense. So I, I like that Finch is working with his shot selection because to me that was one thing that was really dragging, dragging him down, as you can tell by his percentages. But I mean he's, he's he's got everything up now. I mean he's he's shooting forty seven percent from the field, forty two percent from three, and and then he's got his his still pretty good number seventy eight percent from the free throw line. So if he can keep those kind of numbers up, we're talking about a guy that can can be a one A or one B with Cat. He's looked like a 1A a lot of these nights with Cat. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, you know, 21, 21,
0: 24, 19, 27, 21, 34, 29. Those are how many points he scored in his last nine and his percentages are up. He does still take more threes than I would like, but it was yeah. really interesting to me the, the, the comments that he made coming out of the All-Star break about how he needed to change his game and the conver- He didn't like, allude to a conversation that he specifically had with Finch, but it felt like something Finch would say.
1: I was just what assuming, I, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> I, but Isaac, what I heard in that was a guy that was really coachable.
1: Yeah.
0: Like he's, he's out of this world athletic as we've talked about, but when your coach comes to you and says, Hey guy, you're a rookie and I'm a new coach and I just got here five days ago. How you doing? Are you willing to listen to me? And he listens to him and comes out of the press and basically reiter- reiterates Exactly what Finch had said to him, and then you 've seen how that's translated to the way that he 's trying to go to the cup more mm-hmm. and that just to me it, it continues to put like another like okay that's another one in his column right good teammate, hard worker, coachable super athletic like and that 's why I have to keep tuning in, not to mention those those uh YouTube highlights that he puts he puts up every every few games he's a reason. If you're down on the Timberwolves to get back on the bandwagon, (laughs) so
1: I I agree.
0: I I think you know the last thing with the Wolves before we move on to our next segment is, what are what are you thinking about Beasley and Russell, and their return with Finch's head coach and his system?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think Beasley's going to fit right in. um, Just seeing with the way they they space the court and Beasley's shooting ability. And the the way that guy plays hard, I think he's going to be great. Um, now, he doesn't really help our, our defensive side, so I wonder if that's going to get just worse or uh, what goes on there. But the really interesting one is going to be Delo because um, we we saw him in the first half of the year, and he's kind of a ball stopper. So with this offense, it, it's a lot of ball movement. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if he really buys into the system um, and if he's someone who can kind of expand on it. I mean, it, to me, it was really interesting... When 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 Finch first came in and was asked about Russell, what was the first thing he said about him? Do you, do you remember? He talked about his um, his passing and his court vision. Yeah, he, he didn't talk about his shooting. I mean, he always thought about a, a shot, a shoot first guard. He was talking about how how good of a passer he is. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what Finch can do with D'Lo and if it's if it was more just a coaching and system thing than it was just D'Lo deciding to play iso ball the whole first half of the year. Yeah. I. So
0: D'Angelo Russell was run out of LA. Golden state couldn't get rid of him fast enough. We haven't seen him on the court here. There are certainly some worries. You think that he might fit into the system because there's a version of him that we saw in Brooklyn that where he was, a really good ball distributor, averaging you know six to seven assists per game, and still putting up twenty points.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of like we were thinking about, we were talking a little bit about James Harden and James Harden that we saw in Houston, that was a volume three point shooter, really effective as that, and the James Harden that we saw in Oklahoma City, and and the, to a great extent that we're seeing in, in Brooklyn, Russell is going to need to be a guy in this offense if L, if 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 Finch is is set on. Towns getting the ball at the elbow or in the post and facilitating offense from there. Where does that leave Russell as a volume three point shooter and a guy that
1: needs the ball in his hands? I guess my question off your question is can deal be Jamal Murray? Well, which version of Jamal Murray?
0: I shit my (laughs) pants version of him or the the one that shows
1: up. Yeah. The bubble bubble version, hopefully, but even just the version that's like doing what he does, getting his shots and his playmaking but hopefully making more.
0: (laughs) Well, what you know, if if he accepts the role of being more of a facilitator, but also if Finch is determined to have this offense run these cuts and these screens uh, and in transition getting the ball into the paint, um, that's going to collapse the defense. And what does that do? That opens up three-point shooting. So can you get D'Angelo into positions, even if he's not always facilitating the offense, once he's given the ball up to Cat? or another big at the wing. If he can then move into a position where he's ready to catch and shoot, you know, whether it's cat or whether it's cat passing to a cutter who then finds him um, because the defense has collapsed. And I think that's the best version of what this offense could be. I really think like uh, there's a version of this offense with Beasley and um, then Russell with Finch at the helm and some repetitions underneath them. That is truly explosive. Yeah. Pretty unstoppable. and and that's probably what we're going to need to be to win some games, because unless we can establish a defensive um, identity through our system, I don't see it happening through the individual marriage defensively of our players. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I agree. That's a lot on the Wolves tonight, Isaac. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Wild and another young, exciting player um, players, actually, in in our goaltender, Kakanen and Kaprizov. All right, Isaac, we're back. Um, and now we're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild. And this is another franchise that if you're not putting them on television and you're a sports fan in Minnesota, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because, boy, is this team fun to watch.
1: It's so true. Man, I and I'm not the one to, like, know a lot about hockey. But when this team plays, I have them on because they're competitive. They, I mean, they score goals. This This team's, like, right up there with – with Vegas and scoring goals. And Vegas is like one of the best teams in the league. Like It's, it's incredible. Like it, We haven't seen a wild team like this in... I don't know. Have we seen a team like this? No.
0: I cannot remember a wild team like this that scored the goals. And that I was lucky enough to have been living in Spain when Leo Messi was playing for Barcelona. Um, during the height of Barcelona's dominance of both Spain and Europe. And he played such a beautiful version of soccer. That even on the possessions when... Maybe he wasn't playing one on three in a fast break and beating three defenders and the goalie or a possession, you know, uh, where um, they made a play and, and, and they 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 put the ball in the back of the net. But even just having the puck when Kaprizov in the, in the, in the first line has the puck on offense, like you've got to watch the television. They might not score every time, but we were texting back and forth on Sunday and you said this was a, a pack of hunting wolves and i i thought it felt like a beehive just the way that they were working together what did you mean by that
1: yeah a pack of hunting wolves or or even like sharks circling in the water like either way you look at it cuz well first off with the sharks circling in the water like they literally do that at times like when kaprizov has the puck he'll bring it down in like the lower zone behind the net and then he'll circle out with the puck still, like, you know, one of those point guard moves where they go around the hoop and they bring it back out and reset up the offense sort of deal. And, like, I don't know. I, I don't watch a ton of hockey, I'll be honest, but I don't see that that often with hockey teams doing that, where this guy is just controlling the puck, circling the net, um, looking for his pass, looking for his shot. And we even saw him a, a goal come out of it against Arizona. Like, he circled around the, the back of the net and came out and, and sniped it right in the upper corner. So I I don't know. This team's just hungry to score. And I don't know if it's simply Kaprizov's what Kaprizov brings and it just rubs off on everyone, but there's a lot of good juju going on. Yeah.
0: It, it is that Isaac, it is that when Johan Santana is your ace and he's locking down the number one spot in the rotation, everybody else just falls into place and we have lacked on offense. Um, We still suck at the power play, but um in 5 on 5 offense we haven't had a guy that can that is beginning to score because he had a hat trick this mm-hmm. last week and he's continuing to do everything that we talked about last time in terms of setting guys up and um in basketball practice um you run that um three man weave practice yeah. in, uh in, on offense and we talk about the, the wolves and the sharks and these aren't things that I'm used to hearing about an offensive team in Minnesota it's beautiful. It, it is yeah. honestly, it's art. It and it, it, that's why like, I can't keep my eyes away and it does rub off on other players. And you know, you talked about that, about that goal. How about that one where Kaprizov wrapped around the net? He had the puck and then he kind of, you thought he was going to kind of come around the net and try to do something, either pass it off to somebody or try to, you know, bring it around and slap it in. But he kind of passes it behind him. Yeah. To Zuccarello. Like, and nobody on the defense, including the goalie, was expecting it. And
1: probably Zuccarello either.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Zuccarello was just like, oh, I guess I got the puck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it in here. Goal.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's done that like actually a few times. Like his his highlight reel for is his first year in the in the league is getting pretty incredible. And that's so exciting. Like it. I feel energized
0: as a Minnesota sports fan right now. And we should because the wild record, we're only four points behind in our division. We're chasing probably the best team in the league in the Vegas Golden Knights. And we've 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 won a bunch of games in a row again. We're on another little streak. And we talked about the Wolves at length and, and Anthony Edwards. But there's a couple of guys in town. You know, I think about the Twins a lot. And we're going to do a Twins preview later on. Even if we lose in the first round against the Yankees and get shut out 3-0 and lose two games terribly in the Yankee Stadium, if we win like 88 or 94 or 98 games and that happens, there's still so much value in the experience of night-to-night turning on your television and thinking that you're going to see a game that's competitive or one that we win. And when you throw two guys into the mix like Edwards and Kaprizov, it's a pretty exciting time even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and one franchise that hasn't won forever and another franchise that hasn't won very much recently, at least in the playoffs to be excited about Minnesota sports.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's, what's Kaprizov's case for for rookie of the year among first, first year players. He's first in goals, first in assists, first in points, first in shots, first in plus minus first in even strength goals, first in even strength points. Like, what else do you want from this guy? Obviously, he has to carry it through the rest of the year, but I don't I don't see him falling off. I mean... Well, the one guy that might challenge him is his teammate. Kakanen?
0: The netminder. Yeah, like, I got to say that if Kakinen continues to play the way that he has in his last nine games where he's gone undefeated, and he has a 927 save percentage, and if he's behind the net most nights if they make the decision to do that. I'm not sure the wild have fully committed to him as the they starter. Haven't. Cause he, they haven't yeah. made me mad, <laughs> but Talbot's not, I, he would be a great second goalie, but in behind the net has just been phenomenal the last month or so.
1: Yeah, no, he definitely has. I mean, he, he's got a case for rookie of the year too. I, and I, I wonder if like they were at all expecting him to bring even anything close to this kind of production. Like, I guess I don't know coming into the year, if he was the third goalie, cause I know we had three at one point, but we let one go. Cause I think of Kakinen's play and, and um, the other guy's injury issue. But yeah, I mean, with a defense like this, I, I think we're, we're like top three in, uh in points against.
0: Well, it, none of this means anything, even though there's excitement around our young players, unless we make a run in the playoffs. So I, I, I enjoy it night to night. I like to turn on the television, um, and and see teams that I enjoy watching, but you're only going to remember things if we do something in the playoffs,
1: right? So, especially teams that we have that consistently do well and then you know, quote unquote, choke. It's pretty much a Minnesota phrase at this point.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the, the Vikings hold the pole on, <laughs> on on that one. So the Wild have been exciting. And a little bit less exciting is the experience with Gophers basketball. They let go of our eight-year head coach Richard Pitino this last week, not long after the Timberwolves let go of Ryan Saunders. And this this university and this basketball team just seems like they can't figure it out.
1: No, well, I don't have much luck there. But hey, they must have listened to our last podcast because at the at the start of the last one, I you know I mentioned you got to it's time you got to fire Patino. I'm sure that was it. That was the, the deciding factor after eight years. <laughs> that
0: was the nail in the coffin. <laughs> so um what went wrong, Isaac? What what went wrong in the patino era? What went right? Ha. Ah, there you go. <laughs> well, we won an NIT, his first year out, so, True. That. so
1: there was a lot of promise actually early. I, I remember that. Even even that year, I mean we, we went twenty-five and thirteen that year. I I mean looking back on history, maybe I gotta do more more research, but how do you go 25 and 13 and not make the tournament?
0: What was the record in conference? Do you know?
1: I think it was like just under 500.
0: Yeah. Well, I know the big 10, if you get team some years when the big 10 is packed and a lot of the other power fives are packed, and then you get all these automatic bids and the mid majors have, you know, sometimes uh, more than one team that makes it. If you're not at 500, even if you have a good overall record and you don't have a great, um, out of conference um, schedule, no. that yeah you can that can put you on the bubble through strength of schedule and your RPI. But what about the year that we we um, we made it to the tournament as a five seed and lost mm. to Middle Tennessee
1: State? Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like again that sums up Minnesota. We just we we know how to do a good choke jab. But no, I mean that was easily I would say Patino's best year with us. Uh, I mean that was in what was that sixteen. 2016-17 year, that was our only year we finished uh, in the Big Ten above 500. We were 11-7 and seven that year. So either it was a really weak Big Ten that year or we just had it rolling. But, yeah, I mean, we, we, went, we came in with a lot of expectations to the tournament. I mean, five seeds, pretty high, playing a middle Tennessee team, which I think was a little bit underrated.
0: Yeah, they, that was
1: they should have been a little bit higher of a seed, but uh, that being said, I still think that was a game that we should have won, being the team we were that year. But I think that kind of sums up Patino's career with the Gophers—always a lot of promise and not quite living up to it. But I wonder, maybe you can answer this: Did we did we simply expect too much because of his name?
0: Yeah, I, we did. We we hired a guy because of his name, and now he had, in many ways, it feels like Ryan Saunders got experience under his father and under his father's best friend. And Patino spent time on Billy Donovan's bench in Florida. And of course, a couple of stints under his dad before his dad went down in flames at Louisville. And he, we hired him because of the Patino name and we've kept him on and moving forward. Like I'm glad that both the Timberwolves and the Gophers have made the decision to move past these two coaches Uh, with the Gophers though. You're so dependent on recruiting. And if we can't keep the guys that are from Minnesota with, you know, defend the borders, what does that mean for any coach that comes in? When you think about Gary Trent, Tyus Jones, Trey Jones, Jalen Suggs the last five years. Now we know when Duke and Gonzaga are interested in local prospects, it's going to be hard for the Gophers to say, and those guys are like, I'm going to play one year. I'm going to build my case to be a high NBA draft pick. Why would I want to do that with Minnesota? That's not going to change anytime soon. So do you look for a guy that is a really good recruiter that can go into the living rooms of these um, prospects within the state and convince them and their parents, maybe not the five-star ones, but enough of the three and four, kind of the Jay Wright model, Mm -hmm. where you get enough of the local guys that are just good players and hard workers and coachable because I don't see us, at least until we can make a bit of, if we can make like a couple of years in a row of a run into the tournament, we make the tournament, we win a game or two. It's much easier to start talking to local recruits about exposure, and we just haven't had that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think our best bet is finding a coach who can, who can build a team with what they got. So yeah, the the kind of the Jay Wright format. I just I just don't see why people would really want to come to this Minnesota program with with their performance they've had. I mean, the last time they were good was back when, I mean, it was probably before I was even paying attention to basketball. It was late 90s, right?
0: Yeah, Clem Haskins was the last time that the Gophers really made a, a, a splash nationally. And I mean, he brought in players from all parts of the country and Clem had connections all over the country and he was a hell of a recruiter. And maybe he brought in guys that didn't quite stack up academically and he found his workaround. With, with Jan Gengelhoff, uh, yeah, until <laughs> until it didn't work. But you know, like those were exciting teams, and like we had a lot of talent, and and um, we made the final four, the vacated final four in 1997 when we lost to Kentucky. But that was the last time that there was really any true excitement around Gophers basketball, and it's going to be a hard road back. But I think you got to start with you know, I don't know about junior college trans, junior college transfers and guys that have come from other programs. I I think a a team like Minnesota with the facilities that we have, we're a large university and a big program in a, in a very um, notable conference. So we have those things going for us. It's just getting the right guy that can develop talent. Maybe because we're going to continue to lose our five-star guys. There's just, the way that the system works now is AAU, you know, five-star prospect one year in college. It's going to be one of the top 10 schools.
1: And yeah, Unless local... our, unless our program grows, like unless we become like a Wisconsin or something, but yeah, but Wisconsin did it through that model
0: was that over the course of, you know, a three to five year period, they built up, it, they weren't recruiting the five-star prospects out of New York and Texas and California and Florida. They were getting guys locally, adding a couple of pieces nationally, maybe a couple of misfits and guys that didn't do well. And then um, through good coaching, building strong teams, and you only need the good thing with the Gophers, and because we're a big school in a big conference, you only need like a two or three three year run where you're good. You're above five hundred in the conference. You're making the tournament. Maybe you win a game or two. Then you can start talking to these recruits. I mean, unless you're um, uh, Gophers football head coach, PJ. PJ yeah, Pluck. unless you, unless you're a, sn- a snake oil salesman, right? <laughs> like. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to um, go in.
1: Can they just recruit him for, or like bring him in for recruiting? Do we want?
0: Do we want him? Because then we'd have to listen to him for nine months out of the year in post game press conferences. And I'm not sure I can handle
1: that. I'm not saying like coaching. Can you? Can they do like a a partnership deal, or like they 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 hire a coach, but for recruiting (laughs) they like just send Fleck out.
0: Well, he's a hell of a recruiter. I know that. And that guy could sell ice to an Eskimo. Um, (laughs) uh, So, well, we'll see what what the University of Minnesota has in store and what their thinking is. But I think you got to go after that guy that can build a culture and that can get the most out of good players who aren't great. And I'm not sure who that is or where that comes from, but I hope that's what the AD is looking for.
1: I I think the names to pay attention to, or I guess, um, yeah, the names to pay attention to would be Eric Musselman. Is one for San Diego, which I'm kind of. They're in the tournament and they're they're seated high, so I'm afraid if they do well, I don't I don't know if he's going to leave because he's in the SEC. Like that's not a terrible conference. And then the other guy is uh, Brian Dutcher for San Diego State. I feel like he's our best bet. Do you mean Eric Musselman for Arkansas? Yeah. What did I say? Uh, San Diego State. No. Yeah, San Diego was Brian Dutcher. Yeah. Yep. Eric Musselman for from arkansas and then san diego state would be brian dutcher those are the two guys i would love to see coaching the gophers why because they've they've built both of those programs from from basically nothing Um, yeah
0: i mean patino coached at florida international university for one year after he left uh, as an assistant at the on the Louisville bench after a second stint. So I think you're probably right. Like getting a guy that has shown that he can build a program the same way that Fleck was at central Michigan or Western Michigan that Western. he came from. Yeah. And he built that program up and he's yeah.
1: building the Gophers
0: program up and,
1: and you got you got to snag one of those guys from a, a smaller conference, a, a less known conference that is good at building just, just like the PJ Fleck kind of formula. So we'll we'll see what they do.
0: Well, what do you think the Minnesota United are going to do? Their their season opener is coming up on April 16th and they're going to be playing Seattle, a rematch of the last year's Western Conference Finals.
1: Yeah, they got the they got the first game of, of well, technically the second game, but they got the primetime slot for the the uh, MOS season opener, which is pretty cool, I think. Kind of a re- revenge game for Minnesota United, so it should be interesting and our our defense is 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 mostly intact, so I think we'll be good there. We'll see if if we can actually play for ninety minutes and not allow three goals in the last fifteen, like uh like in the Western finals. So I'm hoping for that. But man, where are goals gonna come from from this team? We've got we've got only three strikers on the roster. Are they gonna they're gonna find a replacement for Molino or are we just gonna play defense all game?
0: Well two years ago we played defense all game and had a hell of a goaltender and, and, and had a nice run. I don't know. I I we're gonna have a, a Minnesota United full preview podcast coming up um probably in the first week in April. But if, if we're just gonna do a little bit of a tease today, I think you've gotta see the Reynoso signing um and the way he played last year in the playoffs and just made going back to Kaprizov, the way he made Molino the guy that we thought he could always be for the first time only happened with a um you know, a setup, man. I mean, granted. You know, Renoso is not a guy that you're going to put on the wing and expect to score goal night after night. Mm-hmm. But he's pretty hes hes pretty magical in how he gets the ball from the midfield and, and creates space for players on the wings to put the ball in the net. And I'm not, I think, you know, we had a chance to re-sign Molino, yeah.
1: right? And we didn't. I mean, well, we offered him money and he didn't want to come back. He wanted to go elsewhere. So I don't know what that says, but I do know maybe he's just sick of Heath. (laughs) I mean, he's been with Heath through Minnesota. He was with Heath in Orlando. So maybe, maybe the Heath Molina relationship, maybe they're just breaking up or they're on a break or something. I don't know, but.
0: Well, I I believe, I believe more in this franchise, Isaac, because what I've seen in their in early, how many years have the wild been playing? Loons uh, are the loons. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, oh
1: man put me on the spot five ish yeah 2015 2016 that might be right yeah and we made the
0: playoffs a couple of times we made it into the western conference finals last year there's a lot with this
1: franchise that i've liked in terms of their decision making hey you kind of think about it that's cool just extending from all of our uh, teams we've been talking about i mean you got edwards edwards on the wolves gotta watch Got Kaprizov on the Wild; he's got to watch. And uh, you got this Renoso kid on Minnesota United, who's also a guy you got to watch. And he was little, pretty. Go ahead. They all have a little bit of magic with him. He was pretty special last year in the playoffs um, with the team
0: that we had. And I, I like to see players that are just make the game fun to watch. So if we've got nothing else going for us, we, we've we've got that, and that that seems to be the the theme of tonight's podcast. So we'll be talking more about the Minnesota Wild over the next couple of weeks. Just wanted to start getting them on the radar. And Isaac, do you have any 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 closing thoughts for our audience tonight? Yeah, no, just more
1: Minnesota Wild coming up, more Minnesota United, more Twins. Hopefully, we we keep seeing improvement from this Wolf Squad because I don't know they're. They can be fun to watch and they can still be quite the headache, but
0: they're gonna surprise some people locally and nationally in the second half. I think maybe, you know, getting getting to the five hundred mark for the second half of the year would be an accomplishment. But I, I think we're gonna be talking a lot more about Finch and, and his impact on this roster. And then, you know, we talked about this earlier on. If we can just see the foundation of something that could become better next year. That's what the second half is about. We're not going to get back into playoff contention. I would, I don't think that we should tank and try to get you know the t- the top three protected pick. I think we need to start winning. We have enough talent, mm-hmm. you know, and we got a new coach. And I think we need to build a culture. And and the, it starts in the second half of this
1: season. Yeah, yep. got to build that mentality.
0: All right. Well, with that, we're going to call it a night. Having talked about the the wolves, the wild, the gophers, and minnesota united so we hope to be back with you all sometime next week be
1: safe everyone